which is great timing because my little pupperito just came inside the door. Look at that little guy. Look at you. Hi, Fred. All right, welcome back to Girls Talk Comics. This is Erin, your master of mediocrity, and the lovely and wise in our technical guy, gal. Hardcore lady type, Jessica, Lieutenant of Lit, because it's lit. What? 100 fire emojis. Um, <laughs> God damn it. That's, <laughs> oh, I just made myself feel old. I know, me too. Shit. Good thing this isn't on the Facebook. Oh, shit. <laughs> Nobody knows where to find me. Which Aaron am I? There's so many of us. Fuck you. Uh, <laughs> oh, same. I'm there. Yeah, right? A little bit of anonymity for our lives. So today we are going to talk about Deadly Class. An image title by Rick Remender and Wes Craig that some people might recognize from the sci-fi show that might still be ongoing or anyway it was really exciting at first because they're like oh we'll put it free on youtube but then it was just episode one and i felt betrayed and i never watched it uh but that's not what this comic is about the comic is about a marcus lopez arguello who gets recruited into an assassination school that's filled with assholes kids that are trying to just be too cool for school and maybe just trying to survive you know everybody's an assassin you kind of got to not be killed. The punchline to all of this Don't seems die. to be 101. Assassination 101. The punchline <laughs> to all of this seems to be that all of these kids are traumatized or torn up at least about the fact that they have to kill people. They're seeking some form of revenge. And maybe that's what the teacher's going for. Is the teacher trying to keep teach them compassion, teamwork, remorse, or even just being scrutinizing about who you're going to kill when and why whatever the case may be we don't get that answer in volume one but we do get a lot in volume one and i'm kind of i'm interested to hear what miss jessica has to say okay so i loved i love the gimmick i mean i've never seen action panels so consistently well done like in the art like they made it artistic the backgrounds for these the scenes are just phenomenally done yeah and the plan, the panel play. There's a scene where she jumps off of this motorcycle onto a vehicle that's behind her, but somehow it, it looks like it's ahead of her in the way that they're doing it. And they have this a couple of times where they use small panels to watch like people move through a space, mm-hmm. but the background doesn't ever change. But it, you know that they're interacting with that background, and it's just it was really visually interesting to me. I I really enjoyed it. Yeah, there was just so much just sweet trauma emo ness, and I was not expecting them to go full acid nightmare <laughs> in the second half of volume one, which they did. I wasn't and was either, great. and I was taken a little aback by that. It. Yeah, I was like, oh god, clowns. Uh, just... <laughs> oh no yeah so many clowns why are there so many clowns i should have known that when they said circus but i didn't i didn't expect it i wasn't prepared because they were like we're gonna go to go circus circus and i was like okay cool that's probably a bad idea on acid and it didn't like connect that clowns are there because of a circus so yeah Mm-mm. yeah no should have been foreshadowing we missed it should have been now i ha- i have to ask you how do you feel about the females I am a little ambivalent towards them in this first issue. 
uh, I mean, they're legitimately badass. They stand up for themselves. They defend themselves. They have distinct personalities. But the first issue wasn't about them. There are a lot of characters in this. Mm-hmm. And, but I felt like, I mean, the character I walked away feeling for and at least remembering is Willie. Willie being uh, mm-hmm. the son of the L.A. gangsters, I think. I think that's what Yeah, the, the one, one whose father got shot in front of him. Right. Yes, yeah, that was the character that stuck out to me throughout this first volume and was more impactful on the narrative than anybody else. Not to say that they weren't good. I actually kind of liked some of the dialogue between one of the girls about the other girl. It's Saya and what's the other girl's name? It's Maria. Okay. Maria. Yeah, but, uh, with Maria about Saya, where Maria's like, she's my best friend. And like, it's so clear cut they're not backstabbing each other you know like maria's like saya's badass i get it yeah she's my best friend still gonna try to fuck this dude who's into her yeah and it's and she she's like saya right. understands and saya probably does i mean it's the nature of the work that they have to do um so i appreciated that conversation and i don't have an issue with the two women just right they didn't well okay so really i really get to shine i think I, yeah, yeah. I agree with you. Like, he, he, uh, that the girls were not the, like, sane control group in this. Like, if anybody is, like, the touchstone to, like, a more realistic approach to this kind of classroom, it's definitely, it's definitely that. He's, the one that stuck with you is the one that I think was sort of, like, the control group. You know, like, the one that is, like, okay, so this is, like, a little bit of a splash of the real world still in the, in the, uh, comic. I, I mean, they all are, but Maria's story is equally tragic and when they start talking about when she starts talking about it i'm like holy crap maria and of course saya is somebody we know nothing about by the end of the first volume it it did right take me i mean for a little bit of the journey i don't know how i feel about the hero <laughs> but yeah or the main villain right like gross oh god <laughs> but yeah. um i know how i feel about him and it's not okay <laughs> okay so i'm i'm with you on the ambivalence i I loved and hated the females in this. I I agree they have truly valid aspects, or at least Maria does. We don't really know much about Saya, but even just the way she reacts to things, Saya is relatable. But it, it's just still teenage bullshit. I mean, like, even though those are interwoven, that teenage bullshit's interwoven with things that make me think that the creators were trying to build valid multi-dimensional characters, it's still just fucking teenagers, you know? And they're spouting off the same bullshit I was tired of in the 90s. You know, like that spiel where she's like, yeah, she's my friend, but guys want what they can, you know, girls never want what they can have or blah, 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 blah. I mean, like, it's the same shit. It, it, I know this is set in the 90, the 80s, you know, but it's yeah. still doing the same John Hughes nightmare archetype building that bullshit that it was making fun of, you know, just with a Smith soundtrack through some of it. And I think it's still I don't kind know. of I'm important still for the, the narrative. art and the blood. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I mean, yeah, yeah. I get a lot it. Of I, action. I, just, I just, the art and the blood is what I like. <laughs> <laughs> the well, narratively speaking, kind of tacking on those oh, juvenilizing and fanalizing traits to these characters of like, you know, mm-hmm. Maria's perception of other women, um, the fact that they are spouting the same emo, depressing teenage bullshit, uh, just the <laughs> wanting to binge drug use. Like, it's just that I think should point out more of the horrors that they're committing you know that they it should remind us that these aren't adults who have to go kill people for homework they're still just teenagers and it, it's yeah 
it uh, adds Q- that Q-M-C-R. juvenile. <laughs> Teenagers it, are scary. Yeah, and it it reminded me as a reader of like these kids barely have their license, you know, and like <laughs> Saya shouldn't be able to drive a motorcycle that well. I mean, she's sixteen, seventeen in this book, and yet she's doing phenomenal important yeah. works like that trick writers might be able to copy with a harness and years of practice so it's just i don't know it just reminded me that they're kids who are committing horrible horrible acts um, yeah in the name of revenge i think the thing that i don't like about it is the this is the brand of that emo teenage bullshit that springs out of the minds of fully grown-ass people looking back on it like that was like of course that's the way people think you know like i don't know some of the uh, the the little the spiel in the car is is the thing that stuck in my craw the most i think because it, it it's like like yeah of course that's how we thought that's how we saw the world or whatever mm-hmm. or you know slash that's yeah that's how we were discovering the world or whatever like it, i mean this first volume i'm not sure like i'd have to read a couple more volumes to know if they kind of pulled out of that or or not but it just, especially reading the front matter and the back matter that was available on my digital copy, it seems like he was trying to, like, do, like, a half-autobiographical thing in terms of the issues that they were covering, the teenage issues aspect of it. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Like, I like the stuff, I, I like the stuff that has, I don't, I, I read a lot of stuff about teenagers still, and if I was comparing the way that they handled the issues in this one versus the way they were handling the issues and atmosphere in say i get what i get what you're talking about i think yeah because it's it i mean it might be that you and i have we've catered our reading to such a degree that we're reading a lot of stuff done by female creators and with female characters that that teenage experience is going to be different for boys and girls and like a lot of it's going to be the same of like you know, the overbearing unknown depression, just the existentialism that comes with it, the excitement, just different kinds of challenges just that comes from being socialized in different ways. And I knew as a teenager, like, I was listening to Blink-182. <laughs> you know, I wasn't listening to the Smiths. <laughs> like, it was just, it's a different kind of angst. And though there was a lot of that emotion in it, like when I read teenage stuff like this it makes me want to sit down with the creator and be like are you still working through some of that trauma that onset of depression that you couldn't get through like are you what what from your high school are you still processing because uh I I I can feel when I have a lot of high school behaviors start to come out one of the things that I love to do in high school was to run away and avoid stuff okay I can't do that as an adult and I don't want to do that Mm -hmm. as an adult And so whenever I start to struggle with the same levels of anxiety and the same kind of frustration or the same insecurities that I experienced when I was 14, 15, 16, you know, up to 19 and even in my early 20s, it, I know I can't do that anymore. I can't run away. I can't hide. I can't flee it. And, but if I was writing for my teenage self, I wouldn't be writing the person today who might be more willing to have a conversation with it, might be a bit more explosive and angry and short-tempered, but I wouldn't have, I I wouldn't, I would write more of a complete and utter meltdown with somebody who couldn't articulate how they were feeling and not 
an utter shorter term meltdown with somebody who can walk you through every sensation of the meltdown while they're experiencing it. Um, And so reading stuff like this where it's, you know, it's like I'm an adult with it still with a kind of a teenage emotive experience, you know, kudos to him if he's able to like look back and go, this is what I felt as a teenager and project it onto other characters. I mean, that's what you do with writing in general, but if it's stuff he's still working through, uh, I mean, depression's hard. (laughs) um, (laughs) Yeah. 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 It's not. Yeah. Yeah. Like one of the reasons I enjoy we're in it to just pull out a completely different title, Lumberjanes, is because it's the kind of, you know, it's kind of the teenage childhood I wish I had, or is more positive and more emotionally um, healthy than the one that I had. And I love it for the idea of it, you know, like the, the fantasy of having a close knit group of girlfriends who support you emotionally in a way that you're responsive to. Fucking love that idea. So I love that series. It's wholesome. It's heartwarming. It's great. Deadly Class was, I think, a really great... It's like a weird social horror story. <laughs> of, yeah! And um, I'm not entirely sure if it was written to be that way. That makes sense. <laughs> like, like, maybe they just thought they were writing a action comic about, like, the way people deal with high school, and they accidentally wrote about the the worst-case scenario that could possibly happen in high school, and, like just ruined everybody's lives while they were trying to like give you something authentic they actually gave you something that was like almost exploitively gory in its emotional horror yeah like okay so like this is the thing i have a problem with not everyone's trauma at home translated to that level of trauma in high school experiences like some people found solace in that you know, and, and like, just because you have a trauma at home doesn't mean that you have a billion traumas in high school. It means that, like, yeah, okay, so you're emotionally cast off or whatever. People don't pick on you every day, you know? <laughs> like, it's not every time you roll up every day there's a new horrible thing that happens. You know, there might be a lot of microaggressions, yeah. but it's not like every day is this bad. Yeah. So the idea that he's writing a story about how every day is going to be the worst case scenario, yeah, it's it's exhausting to me. <laughs> totally like, fair. Really Which, exhausting. It's actually why I really like that they went on that car trip at the end of it. Because, like, these kids who are obviously yeah. like, well, I gotta pretend I'm not your friend, they still swooped in to help him out. And, like, there are good things that are happening to him in it. But, yeah, it is really hard. It's like when you watch some teenage drama movie and it's like every day sucks because everyone hates me and i'm like nah bitch they ain't got time to hate you they hate themselves you're just self-centered i mean that's what i want to say but like uh, maybe not the best thing to say (laughs) no no i i found that emotionally freeing whenever i finally was able to start internalizing the fact that everyone's level of of comfort you know like was more like mine than not you know, like, not everybody has that same level of social terror, but, like, the fact that everybody's got their own complete full universes and they're the main character in their own stories means that you get a little level of, you know, like, anonymity in it, and that's really yep. freeing, whatever you have. Oh, yeah. Like I was. So, yeah. like, no, I think that's, yeah. Like, yeah. So, I think, so I think that's a good message to give the teenagers. Like, look, people aren't actually staring at you. They're yeah. staring at you. They, and they're staring at themselves. They might be staring at you, but it's probably, they're not probably thinking anything. With how often I just look at people and I'm like, this is a person, and I just take them in rather than, oh, you know, yeah. judging. Like, nah, it, people aren't. Mm-hmm. 
the Occam's razor is the thing that I love to talk about the most where it's just like the simplest answer is probably correct. And if you're not devoting your time to obsessing over people, they are probably not devoting their time. That's too much effort. And if they are devoting their time, screw them. (laughs) Just don't waste your time. Or if you think they have valid critiques, listen to it. Like if you're going to obsess over it, listen to it and figure out if they're right or wrong or if it's even something you care about. That's what I do if I get anxious and obsessive. I'm like, right. What is this concern? Is it actually something I can do anything about? Is it something I care about? And just kind of process it from there. I mean, I don't I don't know if that makes sense. It sounds grandiose and definitely coming from a place of age and privilege, but you know, Right. I don't... Well, it's also practice. Like you've practiced and incorporated that and, and like, like I know God, teenagers yeah. can't do that. Like, like or just haven't you know, yet. But I mean, at the same time, like, or just haven't yet. But if they know it and they can start working on it after the fact, like, I, it's coping mechanisms like this that people don't explicitly talk about until later in your life. I don't, I don't understand why yeah. they don't give you the words to express this kind of feeling when you're younger. Because I didn't get a lot of this until I went to college and took some courses in college. You know. <laughs> it's- like, of yeah. course people aren't staring at you. Are you staring at everyone? Like Yeah. And if give just give teenagers better words, better words to describe, to their, describe feelings. their feelings. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean it it's knowing what it's like to be in my head is probably exhausting for the adults around me and they're like, please just shut up and go away. <laughs> because I'm just constantly like, I'm always sad and they're like, Yes, we know, because life is sad. It's sad for us too. And like I, but when you're sixteen <laughs> when you're like twelve to sixteen, you're like, but but I'm sad today and I'm not supposed to. And they're like, like literally if I have a child and they come up and they're going to be like, well, I'm sad. I'll be like, you know, I'm bad news. It's not, that's not really going to stop. Let's talk about it. It doesn't get better. It it can. (laughs) I'm not going to say that, but it's, it's more like being sad. It's not necessarily a bad thing. Let's, you know, figure out why are you sad? You know, that that kind of stuff. Like, the, do yeah, something like, constructive yeah. with it. rather gotta than have some more coordinates on the sad scale. I just hope I would never be a parent or a mentor who'd be like, let's just find the, let's just smile instead of frowning. You know, just get over it. Like, I, I hope I never say that. Yeah. What I, what I want to be is the kind of parent figure that gives them a knife and tells them to go murder a hobo. That's what I want to be. Yeah, you know, thing I'm learning from Deadly Class is I'm going to have to put that in my not a parenting technique that I want to pass on. Also, <laughs> oh. I, I hope they come back to that scene a little bit more and kind of explain the horribleness of it in a more direct manner that murder anyway yeah i'll i'll be honest with you my notes i think there was something there that they didn't they didn't tell you right yeah but my notes for this when after i finished reading it like i wrote the uh the opening spiel and then i just have in bold and italic letters just damn (laughs) like that's my opinion on the book is just damn (laughs) i didn't write about the plot i mean it's a journey i'm happy i i I went on yeah 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 it's definitely something that I think oh to kind of get to the last question though about trades versus single issues I think this is something that can be read in either and you'll get the same experience oh yeah yeah Yeah. Uh, trades are probably just going to be easier to find easier to find because this has a lot of volumes doesn't it I mean whenever I was looking it up it had like a shit ton to give me but also like I don't know like I think I could handle about a volume at a time but this is something I'd probably wait in between the volumes but it would kill me if I had to wait in between the issues you know mm. like there's mm-hmm. no balance there like mm-hmm. 
It's a thick one too, though. Like, it's a thick volume yeah. one. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, if I had to wait between the issues, I'd go crazy. And not in mm-hmm. like I'd just be so frustrated and unfulfilled. Yeah, I get that. I Who wants get that. that. In their comics when they get enough of that in real life. Burn. <laughs> look at the look at you. We're just doing so much social critique right now. Jeez. Who expected this to turn into a small psychology episode? But this is not maybe a sign for the future. Who knows? That's a lot of responsibility. Welcome to the Girls Talk Comics and Psychology. The Lieutenant of Literature's therapy session. <laughs> yeah. We I should kind of put the byline in. Yes. Yeah, like an intentional therapy as well. Doctor Lieutenant has the asterisks. No doctorates are involved. <laughs> <laughs> the master of mediocrity has half a license. Like, <laughs> I'm not licensed to do this, but I'm licensed. But the internet exists, so who cares? All right. Well, thank you all for joining us. Bye. Bye. <laughs>